Hello and welcome to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast today. Today we've got an exciting guest on the podcast for you. We've got Mr. Brian Sanders all the way from Los Angeles in America. So Brian, if you want to introduce yourself and tell us uh, what you're all about. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, well, I am, I guess, a citizen scientist here. I'm a filmmaker. I am a mechanical engineer. I'm a nutrition Re- not not researcher i'm just an enthusiast right i'm a citizen scientist is what i guess what they call it where i'm out here trying to figure it out trying to relay information to the public and i have interviewed about 150 real experts i i got i get to talk to all the great phds around the world world famous doctors scientists all these people and i'm trying to put it together into a film so that's my main job is communicating nutrition science to people that's great brian um, so we're all about nutrient dense food and we're not in any particular camp like keto or carnivore or anything like that and i know from listening to your podcast like your peak human podcast and sapien podcast things like that that uh, you have kind of uh, similar thoughts and uh, I wonder if you could just explain to us what what nutrient dense foods are and uh, why they're important for our nutrition. Yeah, sure. It, it, I think that's a good stance that you have, and I, I think it's something good that I've learned over the years is to not jump into a camp. And things always go poorly when you you know you go down too far down one rabbit hole, and you want to stay open. You want to stay open to new information, and if you're too down one rabbit hole, you're not going to be open to the good information on the other side and you're going to get trapped. So I love that. I think it's good to stay scientific and and nutrient density is really just a scientific reasoning of why foods are good or not so good, right? So it's not, we're not saying, Hey, animal foods are this or plant foods are that it's just, okay, well, let's look at how these foods work in our body. And now you know, we have enough science to actually know a lot of it, but we still actually don't even know all of it, right? We still are figuring out what are in foods and finding new tests to discover about bioavailability. And is this nutrient in the food available to our bodies if we can, if we eat it, right? And we didn't know a lot of this stuff back in the day. So I get really into the history of things for the film, Food Lies, because we got a lot of things wrong and it, it kind of spread out the U.S., dietary recommendations kind of spread out to the rest of the world. And back then we didn't understand that calories were different. We kind of just thought, Oh, you know, animal fat's bad. So we did, we got, we got one thing wrong. And then we, we thought that all calories are the same. So we're like, Oh, okay. If protein's not different from any other calorie and process carbs and fats aren't any different than whole food carbs or fat. Well, let's just make the food pyramid because we have all this corn, wheat, and soy lying around and we have all these packaged foods and it just, it just went out of control. And so now we're realizing that all calories aren't the same. Uh, It's not saying that calories don't matter, right? And we could get into all these details, but it's that all calories aren't the same, that a protein from, you know, wheat is not the same as protein from beef and protein from broccoli is not the same. And, you know, vegans like to say that and they'll make memes. It's like, oh, you can get all the protein you need from broccoli, but that's not true. You need like you know, 10 cups of broccoli to get the protein in like a little square of beef. If you look at the actual protein, it's not a complete protein in broccoli and it's also not bioavailable protein. So a general rule of thumb is that animal protein is 
complete, it has all the amino acids and it's more bioavailable by a factor of maybe five, even that your body can use it. So nutrient density is about, okay, I'll start a little earlier. Food is basically three things. It's protein, micronutrients, and energy, right? And energy is fat or carbs. So really when you want to eat, you, you need the protein and the micronutrients are your building blocks. So you need to get enough of those without overeating energy. That's it. That's how you have it for life. But it's easier said than done, right? Because of our modern food environment and what people think is healthy and just human nature of eating delicious foods and wanting to go get a milkshake and a cheeseburger and fries. I mean, not many people in the world, apparently, by just looking around and the statistics that 88% of Americans, at least, are not metabolically healthy. No one's doing the energy balance part, right? They're not eating the correct amount of energy. And our food supply is just diluted of protein and micronutrients, the building blocks, and flooded with the energy part, whether that be fat or carbs. So... I could talk about this all day. You tell me where, where you want to go. Well, that's right, Brian. It's, it's what, well, basically what you're saying is, is the processed foods. The processed foods are taking everything that was good in food out of them and just putting, you know, leaving basically just leaving the sugars behind. You know, the things that the carbohydrates, the things that our body doesn't really thrive on. Um, so if, you, if you're looking at, say, a whole foods diet, and a whole foods diet is more about being more nutrient dense. You've got your protein in there. You've got your fats. But when you get down to like things like your milkshakes and your processed foods, then they've taken everything that was good. All those proteins, those fats, they've taken all that out of there and just left behind mostly the carbohydrates, which your body, you know, is not going to thrive on. Exactly. That, that's a good point. So you, you, I like to think about it evolutionarily, too, just to give the audience a perspective. We, we didn't find, we couldn't get a ton of carbohydrates in nature. There was, there's many reasons where there wasn't always fruit trees. There wasn't, you know, fields of, of crops when we were relied on protein and fat. Yes. And our bodies work well that way, right? You don't need food all the time. If you eat a lot of protein and fat, and this is how the body works. It works like a battery. That's why we have fat stores in our body is we eat fat, we store it for later and we're fine. And people who eat like I do, and probably you do, we don't have to eat every two hours or four hours or even eight hours. I, I, I used to be like that. I used to be, you know, reliant on glucose and I, my mood and my energy would go down if I didn't have it. I even, my stomach would actually hurt. It would actually like the stomach acid would eat itself or something. If I didn't eat within five hours, it was, it was really painful when my whole life like that. And now I can not eat for 24 hours. I'm fine. I feel great, right? People who know people, some people call it intermittent fasting or condensed eating window. Usually I only eat in that eight hour window a day. But when, when you're in ketosis, usually when you're doing this and you're running on fat, you get even sharper, you know, and you feel great. So I think that's it. I, I think um, that's where a lot of people are at at the moment. A lot of people are eating six meals maybe more, maybe eight meals a day and thinking they have to do that, thinking that they're always feeling hungry. So they have to do it to get the energy to be able to function through the day. They don't actually realize that they're just 
putting in glucose on top of glucose on top of glucose, burning it off really quickly, and then they're needing it again. That's what's making them hungry. Whereas if there was to change over to a nutrient-dense or, or a, a saturated fat diet, then it would keep them more satiated for longer throughout the day. And then you tend to end up with something like 16-8, not necessarily on purpose, but just because you're feeling satiated for longer. So you just tend to eat less meals. And that's the way I went myself. You know, I, I, I started to eat six meals a day. And I actually, when I started training a lot, I was doing triathlons. I started training a lot. So I thought, oh, I need more energy. So I started eating more food, more carbohydrates. And of course, then you just crash all the time. Insulin's up and down and all over the place. So you're crashing all the time until I realized that nutrient-dense food was the way to go. You know, start eating more saturated fats, more good fats, more proteins, keeps you fuller for longer. And then you can access that fat stores as well over time. It's obviously part of training. You know, you can't just jump straight into it. Um, so, you know, that's the way to go. It is, you know, a lot of people who do these long marathons and triathlons, they, they could gain weight. You know, I've, I've seen the people at the marathons and they, they kind of these beer bellies and you kind of realize that this, this carb model doesn't really work and you don't need carbs. Carbs are non-essential actually. I mean, it's in the medical textbooks. Carbs are non-essential. People just don't know. No, people think they're essential. Glucose, yes, is essential to your body. It's just certain organs like your brain, but your body can easily make glucose from protein. You know, it's called gluconeogenesis. And, you know, we would all die if that, if our body, we needed to eat carbs to get glucose for our brain. Cause throughout history, we did not always have carbs. I, I am sure about that. I'm not sure about a lot of things, but I know we didn't have, you know, throughout history for there, there was times where we could go weeks or months without carbs. So yes. And, and you, you brought up the satiety part and the insulin part and the insulin swings. And I love that part too, because when people, eat the, the six meals a day, or they're always eating these carbs, they, they rely on them. They don't realize like what's happening in their body is, you know, the sugar, the blood sugar goes up, the insulin goes up, and then it goes back down below normal a lot of the time, right? You go, so you go hypoglycemic, and then you, you hyperglycemic, and then you go hypoglycemic, right? So then you're hungry, and then you, you need food again. And so a lot of these people can do a lot of exercise. And then they're, but then they're always eating right? They're, they're overeating without knowing it, partly because they're just hungry, partly because they're eating non-nutrient dense foods that don't satiate them properly. And partly even because maybe you're even exercising so much that your, your hunger goes up, right? Like I think uh, doing chronic cardio is not ideal. I do like to do a lot of sports, but just sometimes people who go overboard and I don't want to <laughs> demean your, your triathlon stuff. Cause that's awesome. But just some people can get into trouble when they do too much cardio, then they're eating too many carbs and then problems develop. Like famously professor Tim Noakes in South Africa was, he wrote a, a famous book on running. I think it was the lore of running. And he was all about the carb loading, all this stuff. He was a, you know, thin guy. He was a you know really good triathlete, good expert in nutrition, and he got pre-diabetes, right? He got these problems with insulin and blood sugar from doing that diet, and now he's he publicly ripped out those pages of his book, and he's on a crusade to tell the world. Yeah, that's right. I, I totally agree. I think if you are doing uh, endurance exercise, triathlons, marathons, things like that then it's kind of accepted within the community that you have to have a lot of carbohydrates to do that. Whereas if you are 
eating your nutrient-dense food and, and, and taking heed to your glycogen stores, which is really one of the main things that you need to be concentrating on for endurance is uh, you know not overloading your glycogen stores and not having too little in your glycogen stores as well if you can get that balance just right with eating nutrient-dense food not too many carbohydrates i think that uh, you know doing cardio can be a good thing but i do agree with you that the shorter more intense exercises is, is more powerful for building muscle and obviously muscle is the thing um, as the mitochondria in it that, that helps you to burn more body fat as well Absolutely. And yes, I think everyone should do any exercise they like, right? Any, anything yeah. that you're going to do, you should do it. But uh, it, a lot of people don't like doing all the exercise and it's not part of their daily life. So that's why I like to talk about the more shorter, intense stuff, because you can get it done quickly and it's very effective. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's powerful. Yeah, right. And any exercise, you know, anything, even a walk, something just to get you out and about, especially to get you in the sunshine, you know, to get your vitamin D up and things like that, especially with the uh, latest COVID and all that, you know, vitamin D has been shown to be one of the main factors in that. And um, talking about vitamins that you said earlier about uh, bioavailability in foods. And I know a lot of people are confused when I say to them um, about the vitamins and minerals in things like fruits and vegetables. And they say, oh, yeah, but my fruits and vegetables, they're absolutely packed full of vitamins and minerals. And then they say, you know, oh, it's the bioavailability. It's how your body manages to absorb them and take them away from, from the vitamins, from the uh, fruits and the vegetables, especially processed fruits and vegetables in the form of juices and smoothies and all that kind of thing. So what is bioavailability and, and, and why don't we get them from fruits and veg? Yeah. Well, first of all, fruits and vegetables are not packed with vitamins and minerals in the first place before we even get to bioavailability. So Dr. Zoe Harcombe is a great person in the UK, nutrition doctor, scientist, that put out a great little graphic of this, right? So she put five, the most five common fruits and vegetables, right? It was just a generic like apples, bananas, oranges, peas, and carrots. Right. And she compared those to actual superfoods, which was like ground beef, liver, sardines, and eggs. Right. And in every single one of the categories, except for vitamin C, the animal foods won by, it was not even close, right? There was leaps and bounds, more nutrients, vitamins and minerals in the animal food products than the plant food products. It, it was sad, really. Like the, the, I, I thought fruits, my whole life up until, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like, yeah, of course, fruits and vegetables are, are great. You look at them on paper. This is just the, the raw data. They're just not, I look it up. It fruits, like a bunch of sugar with like a tiny bit of vitamin C that you can get easily. Vitamin C is not hard to get. It's not some, you know, like super important, it's fairly important, but it's not some crazy, you know, nutrient that we can't get otherwise. So well, we, we need, we need vitamin C every day, right? We need, we need it to, to function. Yeah. 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 It's, it's great. It's for collagen synthesis and people know you get scurvy if you don't need vitamin C. I'm not saying it's not an important nutrient. All the nutrients are important. All the vitamins and minerals are important, but you actually only need about 70 milligrams of vitamin C per day. And yeah, I mean, get the vitamin C without all the sugar is kind of what I was about to say, right? It's like you can get vitamin C without eating like some giant sugary banana or, you know, mango or something that's that has a lot of sugar. So, so first of all, th there's just not that much volume of nutrients in plant foods. And when you talk about bioavailability, there's something called anti-nutrients or th these plants have different 
naturally derived chemicals that they produce for one reason or another, one to protect themselves, that block the absorption of nutrients is, is part of bioavailability, right? So there's phytates or lectins or oxalates. And we've done some cool studies to show this where you could eat like a, there's an old study with oysters and oysters have a lot of iron in them, right? And then if you eat the oysters with spinach, I think it was, oh no, they did it with corn tortillas and beans, right? It was kind of like this little taco type thing. And they, they measured the iron in the blood after the three things, eating them by itself or with the other foods that had these anti-nutrients in them and the nutrients blocked the absorption of iron. And so same thing with spinach, you can measure, you know, spinach is supposedly has a bunch of iron, but you actually don't get it all. So this is just another problem is that plant foods, I don't know, I don't want to, you know, do the take sides type of thing, but it's kind of like their fallback foods, right? These, these are just a not as good. We'll just say the easiest, simplest terms. They're not as good. They're sort of a fallback. They they don't have all the, the fully formed nutrients. Like if you're talking about vitamin A versus retinol, like the vitamin A in carrots is not a usable form of vitamin A for your body. Retinol is, which is in, you know, like cod liver oil or something like that. And that's very usable to your body. So not everyone, people even have different uh, abilities to convert things, right? Some people are really bad at converting some of the precursors and the plant foods to the real foods. So that's also why people think some people do better on plant-based diets than others, or can do them longer before they get really sick because they can convert some of these precursors into the real thing. So I guess the wrap up is plant foods are, have always been there for when we couldn't get an animal. I, I like to think of it that way, right? They, they can keep us alive. And even if you want to talk about high carb versus low carb, because I always w- was confused earlier years ago when I was like, well, you know, I get it. Carbs are, you know, carbs are bad. You know, when I eat less carbs, I lose weight, all this type of thing. But then how do the people like the vegans or some of these high carb people do it? How does that work? But it's because of this sort of fallback state that humans evolved, right? There is two kind of different metabolic states. There's the high fat, you know, optimum state where we're getting nutrient dense foods. And then if we couldn't get a hunt, we couldn't get an animal, our environment failed us in some way. It was too cold or there was, you know, just the hunt failed. We could just gather some tubers and some fruits or whatever we had around, depending on the season and live on kind of low protein, low quality foods, but we weren't eating high carb and high fat at the same time. Really? Right. It's like kind of like one or the other. And then a lot of people in society just eat both at the same time, high carbon, high fat, and they're just sick. They're just you gain weight and get sick, but you, you can main, you can not get fat. I'll just put it that way. Not get fat, not saying that it's good, but you could be eating a high, super high carb diet with very low fat. I don't know why you do it because the, the protein and the fat are the good things with the nutrient dense foods, but you can technically survive right? Uh, in this sort of fallback metabolism. Right. So exactly. If we did take it back to the ancestors, like you said, then we've got to eat something, right? You know, we've got to, if, if the meat's not available, then we've got to eat something, you know, we've got to go out and forage and, and grab whatever's available just to stay alive. Not that it's the ideal thing to be getting, but we've got to, we've got to have something. So why in modern society, would you choose to have your fallback foods? You know, nowadays we can choose from anything we like. So let's pick the 
nutrient-dense food. Let's pick the stuff that we really want and our body really thrives on. The, the, the way I see it is um, there's like a hierarchy. So I try to say that um, vegetable, fruits and vegetables, okay, they're kind of like in the middle. And then you've got your bad processed foods at one side. You know, they're the bad. You want to stay away from them. If you err towards, you know, your, your fruit and your veg and that, your vegetarians, vegans, then great. At least it's a step in the right direction. It's a step away from the processed foods. But really what we're aiming for is to take another step forward and to aim for those nutrient-dense foods. If you do still happen to have fruit and veg in your diet, then great, our ancestors did, like we said. You know, we still managed to eat those whole food, fruits and vegetables. We just need to understand that they're not the things that are giving us the nutrient density. They're not the things that we're going to thrive on and live on. It's the meat and it's the animal produce and it's the things that are full of all the nutrients and all the vitamins and minerals that we can actually access. That's exactly it. And I did a graphic of that over a year ago. And I it was almost just throwing it out to the world to see what people thought. And I, I had three groups, exactly. I had processed foods, plant foods, animal foods. And I had all the pictures, you know, of them. And it was negative one, processed foods, zero, plant foods, and animal foods plus one. And I'm just kind of like, hey, maybe we should think of it like this. This is not a blanket statement, but this is generally how things work. And that any good diet takes from the positive plus one to zero side, right? Any good diet, if you do the math of all the foods that you've eaten and, and assigned it a negative one, zero, or one, and you know did a bunch of math, you would end up in a positive, right? Even a pescatarian, vegetarian diet, you're still, if you're not eating the processed foods and you're still getting some eggs and some dairy products, you're in the positive. And then any bad diet, you're going to be in the negative. And I think it's a, a great way to explain it to people. But each of those categories, it's hard for people to, it's a hard pill to swallow, you could say, because of our understanding of nutrition in the past 40 to 70 years is almost opposite in those three categories, right? They're saying processed foods are fine. They're saying plant foods are miracles. These are, you know, superfoods. And they're saying animal foods are dangerous. So we have to flip each of those scripts to let people know this simple thing that you just laid out. And, the, and doing a great thing, Brian, by um, pushing on your podcast and, and bringing out the film, which we're all you know, eagerly waiting for. <laughs> I know you're doing a lot of work there and it'd be great when it comes out. But how do we get this message across to people? Every person, you could stop somebody on the street tomorrow and ask them what the most nutrient dense food is. And it's very rare you're going to get somebody to say, oh, it's, it's liver. You know, they're going to say, oh, it's your fruit and your vegetables and it's the things that we all should be eating. And I, and I like the way you say about your, your negative and, and, and your negative to your processed foods and, and then your plus one, which, which basically means for, for everybody listening who's not seen the, the graph, it's that if you was to eat, say, on a weekly basis, if you was to eat uh, mostly vegetables and mostly the fruits all the way through the week, but then perhaps in that week you add um, one dish of salmon, then at the end of the week you're going to be plus one. You know, if you had no processed foods at all, you just had fruits and vegetables, then yes, you would have a decent diet. I'm not going to say a nutrient dense, perfect diet that you can thrive on, but you'd have a decent diet because you would be in the in the positive at the end of that week. And that's a great way to put it. I'm really pleased you, you brought that up. Well, I think I thought of it a couple of years ago. My first episode of my podcast, P Cuban, was with my ex-girlfriend, actually, who's dating a sort of vegan fella. And we're still friends, you know, like whatever. We had a friendly debate and 
they were like, yeah, we're plant-based. He was like, he had some problems with gout. And so, you know, people who have problems with gout, they blame it on meat, right? They always just blame it on meat. He's like, oh, there's high uric acid. It's not meat. It's what else you eat. That's my t-shirt I have. It's it's not meat. It's what else you eat. It, gout comes from eating a very rich diet of a lot of alcohol and a lot of fatty meat and a lot of sugars and fructose and processed foods. And the fatty meat was the good part. That's the one good part of your, about, about your diet. But if you're eating a lot of that with really bad things, like a ton of alcohol and a ton of sugar, you're going to have problems. So it's not, I just want to throw that in, but they would be eating plant-based diet for the week. And then they'd get oysters, right? They're like, Oh, we love oysters so much. I was like, I know why you love oysters. Cause it's saving your life. It's the only nutritious food you're eating. It's giving you all the B12 and all the other things that you're lacking in your plant-based diet. So if you eat a whole bunch of oysters once a week and you know, you go out to the restaurant and you order like a dozen oysters each, you're, you're okay. You know, they, these are your life support system. And yeah, yeah, people do that. And especially there's a study over, uh, I forget, it was out of the UK. It was like 84% of vegetarians or vegans, you know, eat meat when they're drunk or cheat or, 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 or just fall off the diet within a few months. But it, whenever they do go off, they're getting that life support system from the animal foods. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. It's the thing that's saving your life. I get some people ask me about autoimmune disease and things like that. And they say, and they say, oh, I can't eat meat because I've got autoimmune disease. And I say, well, the meat is the one thing that you need to be eating. It's the nutrient-dense food. If you can change your diet to a more carnivore-ish, I have to say carnivore-ish because I know a lot of people, as soon as you say carnivore, like, oh, no. Um, but if, I say if you can introduce more animal produce and more things like that, that's where you're going to get it from. So many people are scared because there's this feeling that, oh, no, I can't eat meat. It'll, you know, I've got autoimmune disease, so I can't do it. Well, talk to Michaela Peterson or, you know, talk to Paul Saladino. Dr. Paul has an autoimmune disease and he's only done meat for years. So it it's, yeah, you got to, you got to turn people's whole lives upside down to get this. You, you kind of ask like, how do we get this message across? It's, it's almost impossible to get the message across because people have been indoctrinated into this way of thinking for decades. And you know, we're a couple random dudes on a podcast and they're like, Hey, well, my, you know, my cardiologist told me this. And I was like, well, how did they learn this? You know, they, they learned this in the system that has been the same for years and it's failed. You know, they're working in a failed system with failed ideas and we're now finally proving it. And it's great, you know, time to be alive where we have all this information, but well, part of it, the problem is though, there's so much other information and so many big forces like these big organizations and big media outlets that are funded by big food that are not wanting you to get this information. It's not evil conspiracy. It's just like, well, all these breakfast cereals are paying for the commercials for our news program. So we have to, you know, just go along. I mean, this is how the world works. So there's no big, big meat out there funding anything like the, the, the meat producers barely have any money and they cobble together a few bucks and they, you know, they try. I mean, they, they had a few ad campaigns here in the States of, you know, beef, it's what for dinner, but you know, it, it's not, it's hard to get the, the message out there because it, it goes against a lot of forces. I'll put it that way. A lot of thinking and a lot of forces that are existing today. Well, let's just hope somebody's listening to us and Ryan. <laughs> 
But uh, I, I know a lot of people, when I say about just uh, going over to a more carnivore-ish diet, they say, well, you mentioned breakfast cereals. Say, well, I get my fiber from my breakfast cereal. So where am I going to get my fiber from? I need fiber. That's a good one. Yeah, fiber, the fiber myth lives on. It's so funny because people still get that. I get a lot of trolls on my like Instagram and stuff. And it's, they just, they're like, oh, well, yeah. Like, how do you like go to the bathroom without fiber? It's like, well, you realize there's people that haven't eaten fiber in 14 years, 19, 18 years. There's people, I mean, I'm not one of these carnivore people that goes hundred percent carnivore, but there are a lot of them and they've been doing it for a long time and they're doing fine. And I mean, there's even studies if you want. I, I could link you to a few studies that they had these idiopathic constipation uh, studies where people who had problems going, they put them on different diets, high fiber, medium fiber, and zero fiber. And the group with zero fiber did the best. They had all the symptoms resolved from their constipation, 100% of them. And so it, fiber is just a long myth. And some people think it goes back to uh, Burkett. This is a guy who went to Africa and studied some tribes, you know, I forget how many decades ago. And he saw they were eating tons of fiber and he saw like they would have giant poop and he's like, well, they don't have, you know, bowel cancer and they seem to be doing fine. So it must be because all their fiber. And, uh, you know, there's, there's other reasons we, we believe that it's healthy, but it just turns out it's not necessary and that you can get the same things to feed your mucosal walls of your, your digestive system from being in ketosis. Even you can get butyrate from, from ketosis, you know, just the, the breakdown of fat and you can get it from, yeah, just even collagenous tissues. You, you know, if you're eating animal foods and you know, all those sort of gristly bits kind of can feed your, your gut the same way. So I don't know how else to tell people that it's, it's not necessary. You, it's okay. Part of the problem is it's what you're used to. So yes, if you're eating a high fiber diet and then like two days, you don't eat fiber, you might be constipated, right? Cause you're not, it's, it's a shock to the system. But if you just get, get used to a carnivore adjacent type diet, you'd be completely fine. And a lot of people have a lot easier time in the bathroom once you avoid all that high fiber. Right, it's, it's about changing your microbiome as well. Because if you're used to eating a high fiber diet, you've obviously got all sorts of different kind of bacteria in there that are used to processing it. If you all of a sudden change, then you're changing the microbiome in your guts and in your stomach. So you need to do a little bit of training, you know, make sure you've got the correct bacteria in there to break down what, what you're eating. And uh, I like the way you say that um, you saw. Uh, the fiber helped them poo um, bigger because that's what happens in the science. It shows that the more fiber you eat, the larger size uh, happens when you go to the bathroom. It's not necessarily that the more it just just makes it a larger size. So you probably often find that when look, you well, yeah. then, I mean, I just want to throw in like who needs it? Like there, there is no science. There is no logic even behind just having a larger stool. Like what? Like why? What's the point of that? Well, exactly. That's, that's the myth. People think they have to have fiber, but all fiber does is make you have a larger size. And why would you want a larger size? Nobody wants a larger size. So really, really it's best to go less often. And to talk about that, to go less often means that your body needs to retain the things that you're eating. So if you're eating nutrient-dense foods, then your body wants to retain that. If you're going to the toilet more often, then it's just proof that you're eating the wrong foods and your body wants to get rid of it, right? Absolutely. You can, yeah, it's, 
your, your body can extract all the good nutrition for them from them, right? If you eat the most nutritious diet possible, like even, uh, even with my dog, I, I was, she, she has some stomach problems, right? And I, and I let her not eat for a little bit just to, to rest her stomach and then gave her some really nutrient dense food. Then she had very small stools because the body was using all the nutrients, right? If you're eating like a piece of liver, your body is using almost every bit of it. And it, yeah, like you said, if you're eating just a whole bunch of kale, your body's like, what is this? I, I don't need any of this. Yeah, right, right. So we've talked about liver a couple of times and uh, there's other organs as well um, within the animal. And I know you advocate a nose to tail type eating um, of animal produce. You know, we may as well use the whole animal if we're going to chop up an animal because that's another thing. There's so much waste in animal. People just go for the muscle meat. But um, if you can manage to steer away from the muscle meat and eat the organs and the bone marrow and things like that, then that is an even more nutrient-dense way of eating, right? Absolutely. Uh, I love nose-to-tail eating, and it it's what we did th- throughout history. It's how we became human, right? You talk about bone marrow. We, we, were, we started off in the very early days when we couldn't get access to animals. We couldn't hunt yet. We couldn't even maybe throw a spear yet, but we could come in to a, an animal kill when it was done and was picked apart by hyenas and all that was left were bones, right? But humans, we could break open those bones and we have evidence of this at least 3.4 million years ago. We have evidence of breaking open bones to get bone marrow and breaking open skulls to get brains. And that's where there's a lot of fat and nutrition in brains and bone marrow. And there's a lot of DHA, especially in brains. This is this omega-3 that our own brains are made up of, right? This Our brains are made up of DHA, a lot of it, and it's omega-3s. And I talked to a great scientist, there's many scientists that study this idea that we ate a lot of seafood over th- history. And it's what greatly cr- contributed to our brain's growing in size exponentially, right? People know that we had this big uptick and it wasn't fire. This big uptick in our brain size happened far before fire. It happened when we were breaking open bones to get the very nutrient dense parts. And then once we started hunting, which was also before fire, talked to great anthropologists about all this stuff on my podcast, but we got access to all the organs when we did the killing, right? Instead of coming in after, because people may have heard that when a lion or any other predator kills an animal, they go for the best parts first. They're eating the liver. They're they're getting all the fatty parts around the uh, liver too, the, the suet. And the, all these good things are gone by the time we got there. But then if we kill the animal, then we got to get those first. And then when we study tribes around the world, we see that they kill an animal and they share the liver as the most prized part and they share it amongst the tribe or you know whoever gets the kill gets the biggest piece. And we, we just knew this stuff throughout history by trial and error. I always like to think of humans as being, well, we know they're just as smart, right? For a few hundred thousand years, we were basically the same creature. So we had the same brain. We were just as smart as we are today. We just didn't have all the technology back then but all of our brain power went to studying our surroundings. It went to studying how to get food and how that food helped us reproduce. And I always love talking about Weston Price. He's a, he's a doctor. He's a dentist. Actually, he went around the world in the 1930s and found what p- 
people were eating, right? He looked at all these healthy populations that weren't fat and sick yet. Cause this was in the 1930s. People were already kind of getting these modern diseases and they would have a lot of messed up teeth actually. Cause he was a dentist. He noticed, he's like, huh, you know, people have tons of cavities back here in the States and they, they kind of have poor health. And he saw this correlation and he actually was more of a vegetarian leaning guy. And so he thought he'd be, he'd go around the world and find uh, all these great healthy populations eating their plant-based diets. And what he found was the exact opposite. Wherever he went, he went all over to island nations. He went to the Aborigines in, in Australia, up into the Swiss Alps. He went to Africa. He went everywhere. And what the common theme was, they were all eating the nutrient-dense organ meats, the, the, the fish eggs, the eggs, the fat, all the things that these nutrient-dense animal foods, they prize them, especially around pregnancy, so that they knew through the trial and error, because we're smart, and this is all we were doing, basically, all we had to do all day was think about this stuff. And we saw that, huh, you know, this lady, you know, ate a whole bunch of liver, and she, we gave her a bunch of oysters, and she had the healthiest baby ever. And they, they kind of saw these correlations, and we saw that they didn't, they all had good teeth, they weren't out there with orthodontists and dentists and all that stuff. So, he, he found that. And what he also find, found was that as soon as the modern foods came in, right, if these places he visited were near a port town, and then he could see them, these sugars and the flour and the, the vegetable oils came in you know, via trade, and they got incorporated into the diet, their health rapidly declined, like very quickly. And even in the same generation that the younger brother would have messed up teeth. He was shorter, less healthy than the older brother who was, you know, was raised on the more ancestral nutrient dense foods. So that's a great, great book. If anyone wants to read, it's, it's a tough read. It's called nutrition and physical degeneration by Dr. Weston a price. And yeah, kind of, kind of spells out a lot of the stuff we're, we've been talking about, but what's great is that it's all been confirmed with all the modern science we've been doing over the past century since then. Right, we we can we can still learn from these tribes. There's still these kind of tribes around nowadays, isn't there? I mean, I know they're being infiltrated a little bit with the processed foods, like you say, but surely we can still learn from how we used to live from tribes that still live today. Yep, and that's what I'm doing. I'm actually going to Africa soon. We're, we kind of are waiting to the for the borders to open, but we are going to visit some tribes in Africa. Some of these people that there's some of the few people left doing their kind of native living and we're going to put in the film. So. Yeah, that, that's great. And and you, you very rarely hear things like chronic disease, like Alzheimer's and dementia and things that are happening within these tribes. What from, from what I've read and from what I've heard, what tends to happen is the older generation of the tribe is still mucking. They're still helping. They're still digging holes, carrying water, carrying buckets, killing animals up until 90, 80, 90 years old. And within our society, as soon as you get to a certain age, that's it, you're kind of written off. And I try and say, look, if you want to help to try and avoid chronic disease and, and um, going on a downward spiral towards the end of your life, you've one, got to stay active. And two, this is the way you've got to eat. You've got to look back at what our ancestors ate and look back at these tribes to see why they can stay so healthy into their later years. So part of the problem with modern society is we've just accepted that people get sick. People just think, oh, that's what happens. You just get a little fatter each year and you, you waste away and then you spend the last 10 years in a old age home. 
it, this is not how we lived. The thriving, you can thrive or you can survive. And so many people are just in this survive mode, right? They're eating the survival diet, the fallback diet. They're, they've accepted mediocrity. And every time we look at a, a civilization or some people that live ancestrally, they are thriving until old age and then they die. I mean, that's how humans are supposed to be. I talked to a great guy who's a, a reindeer herder up in the Arctic Circle. And he he's very tuned into all this and he, he eats the natural diet of, you know, mostly reindeer meat and fish and he's very healthy. But a lot of his family members and other people are, you know, getting the processed foods and rapidly declining. But his, his grandpa was 96. He decided to go visit his friends. He did a 20 mile uh, cross country ski, right? He just 96 year old just went, went on the skis 20 miles, said hi to his buddy and went back in the same day. And then two weeks later, he just died. He's just like, well, you know, old, he, he, he was done. His body gave out, but he was strong until the end. And that's how humans are supposed to live. That's the way we all want to go, really, isn't it? Let's be fair. Let's be honest. We don't want to go on a downward spiral. If I could go on a ski and then after that I'm done, I'd be happy. <laughs> 96, I'd be happy for 96 anyway, put it that way. <laughs> I know your time's precious, Brian, and I know you've got to get back to making that film, but I just one more thing I've got, and it's a request from a listener. It said, please ask Brian about supplements. Why why don't I need to take my supplements? I get multivitamins and I take vitamins and minerals. Why don't I need those? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, it's a hot debate, you know. For one, I mean, a lot of them aren't even bioavailable, bioavailable right? They're just some dried out little pill that your body's not going to use. You know, fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K, you know, you need to eat them with fat. You need to get them with food. So the best source is always going to be food. Uh, so one thing is we also don't even really know the exact needs that a lot of the needs are based on a flawed population, right? So, so that's one thing. And then also just, just know that you need to eat. If you're eating nutrient dense foods, you, you shouldn't need to supplement, right? But maybe not all, all people do that though. So this is very, actually, see, I'm kind of going in circles. It's super hard to tell people blanket statements like you do need them or you don't need them, right? I think if you need to take some cod liver oil, like if you're not eating a good diet, right? Maybe, and if you add in some, a few things, then that can be fine. Or maybe your supplement should be oysters, right? Like the, the vegan couple I mentioned, basically their supplements were oysters. They were eating a, a low quality diet, but they got B12 and iron and iodine and all these things. So I'd say do that. I'd say eat your, your liver is your supplement. And, and then if you, if you really don't want to eat these things or yeah, you're just want to take the easy road out. There's even liver supplements, you know, there's these pills that people are making that have the organs they're desiccated they're dried out and you can just take those so that's what i'd say yeah that's great that's exactly what i said i said use liver as your supplement and that's exactly what what i said i said obviously like like you it depends on your diet because if you are already eating a nutrient dense diet which has all your vitamins and your minerals in it and there is no need to supplement and also in them supplements like you said and the bioavailability that you're getting from those supplements is just nobody really knows how much you're getting. It says on the side of the bottle, 
400 milligrams or whatever, you're probably not getting 400 milligrams of whatever it is. So you're better off just using a natural real food like liver as your supplement. And um, I'm pleased you said that. That kind of reinforced what I was thinking. So thanks for that. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much for your time today, Brian. That's been great. And um, if, if where, where can people find you? And where can people find this much waited for film that you're working on? Well, it's called Food Lies. I'm on Food Lies on all the social media platforms too. So if you just search Food Lies on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, I'll be there. And yeah, we're working daily on this film. It's getting better by the day. It'll come out next year. Hopefully this whole pandemic thing will be over and we'll all watch the film and be healthy. That's great, Brian. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, take care. Wow, how good was that. I really enjoyed talking to Brian. That was a great conversation with plenty of information in there. I hope you managed to take something good from it. And like Brian said, you can find him at Food Lies Anywhere. I really suggest you go and give him a follow. What I will actually do is I'll go and I'll find his graph that he was talking about, his little illustration that he was talking about with the neutral foods in the middle middle the zero with your fruit and veg the minus one with your um, processed foods the other side and your plus one with your animal produce and your nutrient dense food what we're obviously aiming for is to be way over in the plus as much as possible that we can be through the week if we can end the week plus 20 plus 30 plus 40 then that's our nutrient dense diet that we're aiming for let's finish it off with plenty on the plus side and steer away from as much of the negative side as we possibly can. Now, if there's anything in today's podcast that you didn't really understand or find found it hard to understand, found it hard to get your head around, then just send us a message. You know the platforms by now. We're on Instagram at human nutrition lifestyle or one word. Our email address is humannutritionlifestyle@mail.com, And there's always the Facebook group. If you really fancy joining us on Facebook, go for it. Just join up with the group Human Nutrition and Lifestyle. I post plenty of good things on there for you to have a look at. Recipes and all sorts of things that I find from all over the internet, including some of Brian's uh, previous uh, photos and illustrations and things like that. I'll pop that uh, latest one. I can I can uh, find it and pop it on the Facebook group and on the Instagram page for you to have a look at. Sometimes looking at uh, an illustration just is more than a thousand words. So give it a look and, and, and it might help you to understand and help you design your own nutrition a little bit better that way. So I hope you have a very nice day and I'll see you again very soon.